Welcome back for another week. Our learning is dedicated to Leo Nishmas of Kobat Yaakov Alevi, Lucy Maya, Rina D, Rufua Shlema, Batila Batya, Bachaya Tova, Brahavigal, Rachel Gito, Yedidia Chaim, Rabbi Bachaya, Shalom, Chaya Sarah, Shimon, Elka, and Shadokhim for all those in need. Once again, thank you to the Barrett's family for hosting. And we begin Perek Dalit. But before we start Perek Dalit, we do have to go back to the last Pasuk of Perek Now, by full admission, I'm actually doing this on purpose because I have been terrified of Perakei of Shoftim since the very start of this whole learning cycle. Biblical poetry scares me. I don't really understand it. And the thought of trying to teach it virtually and recording and have such a good handle on it was something terrifying. So I came up with this amazing plan. Perak Dalit is going to take us two weeks. Each time we will touch upon Perak Hay, we will not learn for the first time the entire Perak inside. And then afterwards, we will continue in two weeks in Perak Vav, having successfully, thankfully, um, gotten through uh, Shiraz Devorah Perak Hay. But before we get there, we have to go to what I would call the short judge. It's called the short judge because there is absolutely no information that we really can take from it. He is the third Shofate, and he gets one Pasuk. Pasuk tells us, this is after Ehud Ben-Geira. Ehud Ben-Geira is 80 years of quiet. There was Shamgar Ben-Anat. And he kills the Plishtim, 600 men, okay? with his Malmat Habakar, which translates as an ox code. What is an ox code? It is some sort of stick that you can use to hit the axe to make a move. So with 600 casualties, with this Malmat of he also saves the Jewish people. Now, that is something amazing. He fights against the Plishtim. The Plishtim are the nemesis that the Jewish people will deal with for quite some time. He defeats them with a Malmat of and he also saves the Jewish people. And that is all that we know. Let's dig a little bit deeper and let's try to see. Who does this sound like? The story of Shamgar Ben-Anat, a person that works on his own. Okay. That sounds a little bit like Ehud. We discussed that last week. And he fights the Plishtim. Okay. And basically he fights him and defeats him with his bare hands. It should sound a lot like Shimshon. Shimshon fights the Plishtim. He is a individual. And there he fights either with his bare hands or with a jawbone, the jawbone of a donkey. So it seems to be that there's a strange parallel between the two of them, which is something that I guess is food for thought. Not sure if we could fully understand what that is, but that is something to try to understand just a little bit. Question is, what shaven is he from? When we talk about Shamgar ben Anat, so what shaven is he from? And let's try to understand this. So the Gemara in Sukkah says, there is not a single shofet uh, that did not um, appoint a shofet from within the 13 shoftim. They come from all the tribes, including shofet Levi. But Rashi says, not so quickly. Harim Bnei Rachel, those are the Bnei Rachel. Shimshon Midan, Barak Mikadash Naftali, Harim Bnei Bila, that's Bila. Ibtsan Zeboaz Mihuda, Eli Milevi, Tolem Yisachar, Eilom Azvulun, Eilom Mufurashim. 
אבל אתניאל, יבטח, שמגר ויעיר ואבדון, לא ידעתי שמושב קיים. אתניאל, יבטח, שמגר ויעיר ואבדון, we don't know who, what shaver they're from. Then Rashi then concludes, מראובן ושמעון, גד ואושר, לא מצאתי מפורש. We have no um, knowledge as to who the, sh- the show fate is, from Reuven, Shimon, Gad, and Asher. Now, does that mean that there was no show fate from there? Or does that mean that we just don't know? So if you, if you think about it a little bit, if you take a look at the map on the left, that will help a little bit. Reuven and Gad clearly would not get a show fate from within their midst. Why? Because Reuven and Gad, they don't live in Eretz Yisrael proper. Those that live on the periphery, and in addition to that, they're nomadic tribes that take care of sheep. It's unlikely that they would actually have a shofet from there. Okay, so that gets rid of Ruvain and God. What about Shimon and Asher? So Asher, you remember back from Perek Bet, when we talked about the, show, the, the Shvatim that were not successful, we said that Asher... Crazy as it was, but Asher lived amongst the Canaanim. This was the Canaanim living amongst Asher. What's that telling us? It's telling us that Asher really is not an independent tribe, but rather they somehow exist among the local neighbors. A, a, a shaman like that is not in a place to have a ruler. And certainly, they're not going to oversee the Jewish people. And so, therefore, it's unlikely, highly unlikely, that we can possibly imagine that from here, you would have a shofet. But that leaves us with Shimon. Shimon. Did Shimon have a shofet? So if we were going to pick a shofet that was from Shimon, who could it be? So we don't know much about Yair and Abdon. Yiftach, well, we know quite a bit about. Um, and Atniel, we know. Atniel fought Kushan Rishadim, but he's Atniel ben Knaz, so in all likelihood, he's from Yehuda, which leaves us with Yiftach and Shamgar. But who's Shamgar's opponent? His opponent is none other than the Plishtim. The Plishtim that live along the coast, the coast that hugs the border of Shevet Yehuda and, amazingly, Shevet Shemo. If that's the case, though, we have to wonder, why is it that the that the Torah is being so cryptic, not telling us what Shevet Shamgar is from. So the interesting thing is that the Yalkut Shimoni says the facts. The Yalkut Shimoni, a, a Midrashic source on Nach. What does he say? He says that from all the Shvatim, you have a Shofet, you have a king, except for Shevet Shemot. Why? Because we know from the end of last week's Parsha, Parsha's Balak, the beginning of this week's Parsha, Parsha's Pinchas, that we read this Shabbos, is that what? Zimri committed this act of, really heinous act of adultery in front of the eyes of the Jewish people. He challenges Moshe, and he sleeps with a Midianite woman, the princess Kozvi Batsu. Okay, so that all happens. And so we, the Torah says, the, the, the matter says, that the act of adultery is so strong that Shimon was punished forever. Problem is that on the one hand, 
It seems like this Yalkut Shimoni is so definitive. Rashi in Sukkah commenting on the Gemara in Sukkah, which says that every shade of the Shofei, it seems like Shamgar would be the perfect candidate to be from Shevet Shimon. And yet the Yalkut Shimoni says, not possible, not at all. No way. They are not. It's not possible you could have a Shofei from Shimon. How do we reconcile that? So the beautiful idea of everybody had is that Shamgar is purposely an anonymous Shofei. Why? Why is he an anonymous Shofei? Because there's something important about Shamgar that requires him to be anonymous. And what is that? That is the idea that the moments may end, but the memories last forever. Now, that quote sounds beautiful. I, I can have this amazing moment, a bar mitzvah, a wedding, a graduation, a promotion. The moment it takes a minute, an hour, a weekend, whatever it is, but the memory lasts forever. I remember towards the end of my grandmother's life, I, I had a conversation with her once and I said, like, what? You know, like you spend a lot of time by yourself. What is it that you do? You, her a vision had gone. She was no longer able to read. She couldn't hear anything. So TV wasn't really an option. What did you do? She said, I, I close my eyes and I relive some of the most special memories, some of the most special times of my life. The moments end, but the memories last forever. It's a beautiful quote. I feel like it would be a perfect quote for someone for, the, for a yearbook. Beautiful idea, but perhaps there's a little bit more to it. Zimri dies. He's speared by Pinchas. Pinchas comes out holding the spear up, showing the people. This is what Zimri was all about. Well, this was an immoral act with Cosby. The proof is right there on the spear. He's able to show it to them. So Zimri dies. And that which happened at Baal Pa'or ends. The plague, 24,000 people die. But the next day, everybody moves on. So we think. The moment has passed. Rabbi Hatton says the memory lives on forever. And in this case, it lives on infinite forever. The idolatry of the Shoftim, says Rabbi Hatton, is tied in to the act of Zimri. And therefore, Shamgar ben Anat might be from Shevet Shimon, but the reason why it's done in such a way where it's kept anonymous is to allude to the fact that he is from Shimon. We can't mention Shimon because Shimon is the one that created this idolatrous slash adulterous relationship within the Jewish people, and that does not end. Shimon's impact, Zimri's impact, will reverberate for generations to come. And so, as we sit here in Sefer Shoftim, finishing up Paragimel, learning about Shamgar ben Anat, we should know that there's an echo, a very powerful echo. It goes back to Dor Hamidbar, and it doesn't end. It can't end so long as there is a passion for idolatry. And so with that, we conclude Perek Gemel. 
and move on to the next show And the Jewish people continue doing evil in the eyes of God. So Hashem gives them over into the hands of Yavin, the king of Canaan, who lived, who ruled over Chatzor, the Sarzvao Sisra, and his general is Sisra, the ruthless Sisra, who Yoshev Bacharoshet Agoyim, and he lives in Charoshet Agoyim. Right, Takubin Yisrael Hashem, and the Jewish people cry out to God, Kichamiot Recha Barzello, because he had nine hundred chariots. Putting it into context, Paro, the ruler of Egypt, only had 600 at at um, and Here there are 900. And he holds a tight grip on the Jewish people for 20 years. Now, if this sounds a little bit familiar, then you have a really good memory to say for Yoshua. In Sefer Yoshua, we had the northern kingdoms. They, the northern kingdom, all the northern kings, they get together and they appoint the leader. And who is their leader? Yavin. He's the king of Canaan. And where did he rule? He ruled in Chatzor. He ruled in Chatzor and Yoshua burns Chatzor down. And the amazing thing is that there is archaeological evidence to this day of the burn dating all the way back to the time of Yoshua. It means that there is living proof today to say that this story makes sense. The northern kings were destroyed in the times of Yoshua. Problem is that we don't see any archaeological proof of Chatzor being rebuilt until the times of Shlomo Amalek. So there is a, a gap of several hundred years where Chatzor lays fallow. Yet here it seems to say he's Yavin Melech Kanan, Hashem Malach Bechatzor, who's the king of Chatzor. Now this is where we have to balance two things. Archaeology on the one, on the, on the one hand, and Tanakh on the other. What happens when the two of them conflict? So the answer is that archaeological proof, while scientific to a point, it's like building a puzzle. It's not exactly a perfect science. So if archaeology and Tanakh don't jive together, I say Tanakh is the word of God. And it could very well be that one day archaeology will figure it all out. That's one way of looking at it. But in this case, we're actually very, very fortunate that if you read the Pasuk actually incredibly carefully, you'll see that the Pasuk reads very differently. The assumption is that what? It's Yavin who's in Chatzor and his general Sisra is in Chatzor, which unfortunately we don't know exactly where it is. But it's not a careful read. See, if you look at the Radak, the Radak says, Kodem, Shikam Yoshua Bechriba, Misarapet Chatzor, Malta, Ika Becherev, Yavin who Ashaya Mel Chatzor as. So what we're being told is It's not that he is king in Chatzor. He was the king in Chatzor. Yavin is a title, much like Abimelech and Paro. It's a title for the king. Yavin is the king of Canaan who lived in Chatzor, but he's no longer the king. The Radak says what happened. He was the king there until Yoshua destroyed them. But what happened? 
ומה שנשארו מאותו משפחה על כולו חרושה וקוראים ונתעשו שם במלך נקרא גם כן יבין במלך הראשון. He took his family, he relocated them to where? To the city of Harosha Dagoyim. And he was the king from there. But he, he maintained the name of Yavin like his ancestors. And so what the Radak does is the Radak reads the Pasuk so carefully. Asher Malach B'chatzor. It's not Yavin Melech Kenan. Melech B'chatzor. Asher Malach. In past. He was the king of So careful to read the Pesukim accurately, and we get ourselves a whole other thing, a whole other reading. Now it is interesting, though, why is he Yavin Melch Kenan, the king of Kenan? There were many kings in Kenan. Rabbi Hatton says a beautiful idea. He says, if you actually look at where Chatzor is, Chatzor, if you take a look at the map, is just north of the Kinneret. That would be the area that you would enter into the land of Israel, you would work your way down to the, um, the Amek Yisrael. And from Amek Yisrael, you would then cross in to the, the land of Israel along the coast. So he who controlled that road actually is the one that would control the land of Israel. And so he becomes a man of Canaan because of his overwhelming power in the fact that he controlled this area. Udvora Yishanavia, Pasak Dalit. Devora is a prophetess. Ashet Lapidot. She is the wife of Lapidot. So who's Lapidot? Rashi says, Shaitahu Saptilot Lumikdash. She was the wife of Lapidot, and she would make for him in her, in her free time, she would make Ptilot. She would make the wicks for the Beit HaMikdash, not for the Beit HaMikdash. There was no base on Dash at this point, but for the Mishkan in Shiloh. And she would send those, um, those wicks with her husband, and they would be donated and dedicated in the Mikdash. Radak, though, says, no, I'm Rushahu Barak ben Avinoam. His name is Lapidot, is Barak ben Avinoam. Barak, Lapidot, Provim Binyan. Barak is lightning. Lapidot is a torch or a fire. They're from a similar idea, similar language, and they're the same person. Okay? And she was the shofet at that time. Pasakei, the Yosheva Tachat Tomer Devora, and she sat underneath the Tomer Devora, the palm tree of Devora. Vein Harama, Vein Beit El, Bahar Ephraim. So she was in the area of Ephraim, in Shevet Ephraim, between the Rama and Beit El. I believe Shmuel also gave a similar um, a similar description by his. Father Elkanah, that he lives in the same area. And what happens? The Jewish people will come to her for judgment. So the Abarbanel is bothered. What's going on here? This holy The reason why it's called Tomer Devora is because that was where. Rivka, Rivka, Rivka's babysitter, Devora, was buried. Tacha Tomer Devora. She's buried there. Okay, so that's one possibility. But but Alderach Pshat, the Abarbanel continues. Amar She was the judge. Why does she want to be a judge outside? 
She did not want to be involved and in order to prevent herself from being alone with men, what happened? She had this, she, she judged underneath a tree. And he then continues to call Adam not so concerned that people were going to a, a judge. One would think that they would be doing illicit things, but a kosher person wants to make sure that in no way is there any possibility that people would suspect anything inappropriate from going on between them. She calls Barak ben Avinoam from Kedesh Naftalia. This is something that we often miss. She is a judge where all the way there, central Israel. And who does she call? She calls Barak ben Avinoam from Kedesh Naftali, all the way up north, that is north of the Kinneret. Says, I want you to collect 10,000 people from Naftali and Zvulu to go up. And there you have, you have Naftali and you have Zvulu right up there. I want you to bring those people, collect them together. What, what's she going to do there? So we're going to Mashtachi Lechel Nachal Kishon. I want you to bring them to Nachal Kishon. I'm sorry. Mashtachi Lechel Nachal Kishon. Sisra Saratva Yavin. I'm going to get for you, draw for you to Nachal Kishon, Sisra, the general of Yavin, and his army, and you will, they'll fall in your hand. So he's supposed to go to Har Kavor, right over there. And they're going to be in Amek Yisrael, which is around the area over there of the um, Nachal Kishon, this Kishon, um, this Kishon Wadi, this Kishon Spring, this Kishon River. Okay. Now, the obvious advantage for the Jewish people is that if they're up on Har Tavor, chariots are very, very good. You have 900 chariots here in Amek Yisrael. Basically, created a situation where anybody that wants to travel through the land of Israel is incapable. They they own the land because of these nine hundred chariots. But the Jewish people standing on top of Har Tavor, they have only one advantage: the, those ten thousand soldiers are out of range. Means that the people of um, of the 900 chariots, they can't fire up there. It's beyond the range. And their chariots also can't go up the mountain. So in a certain sense, they have neutralized his army and they're going to wait there for the sign. So Barak says, if you come with me, I'll go. If not, I won't go. Rev. Eli Tzur, in his Das Mikras, says, why does he want this? He says that if you come with me, it will be an oath from Hashem that this is a miracle. The woman is the one in those days to win a war. People will say, wow, this is definitely the hand of God. I'll go. She says, I'll go with you. But know that the glory of Al-Haderech, the glory on the victory 
will not be yours. God will make the uh, will make sister come into the hands of a woman. She then goes up to Kedesh Naftali. So goes up with them. They have 10,000 men. And they're all good. This is actually is setting the stage for the story a little bit later on. This is something that we, we need to know for a little bit later. Asher et Kadesh. So Chaver Akeni, he separates from the son, the, from the family of Yitro, Futein Moshe, and he sets up his tent Ad Elom Mitzanim Asher Kadesh. His tents are all the way up north. Originally, Yitro's family was more by Richo, which actually might have been also the area of Homer and Devora, but they've moved up north. And Sisra sees, he's told that Barak has gone up to Hartavor. And now he has to decide what to do. He then moves up to Haroshal Goyim by Nachal Kisho. Okay. So what happens? Devora makes a sign. She says, go, you can do this. You could win. God has given sister into your hands. Barak comes storming down. Comes storming down the, the mountain. With 10,000 men behind him. Okay, so what happens? And God Confuses Sisra and all of his chariots and all the encampment by the sword of Barak. And Sisra gets off of the chariot and runs. Barak chases them until He kills everyone. You might recognize that word. is the same language that we have by Kriyas Yamsov. So Matityahu ben Yosef, Josephus says, Geshem Yarad, rain. It made the land unpa- unpassable and it makes the horses go crazy. Okay. So let's, let's try to understand this story a little bit. They're on Haratavu. And the Amek Yisrael is crowded with 900 chariots, a huge army, and they are along what? Nachal Kisha. And all of a sudden, Dvorah says, Kum, go, the time has come, you're going to win, you got to do this. Okay, what exactly is going on? So there, let's, let's just pick up on two interesting words in Pasuk Vav and Zayin. Mashachta umashachti. So Rabbi Eliezer ben Yaakov Omer, it's Mishnah Moe Kvatan, Paragal, Mishnah Gimel, Moshchem et Amayim, Ilan Ilan. You can move the water from tree to tree. Moshev is a way of moving the water. How do you move water? So if you're talking about irrigation, you, with your foot, you could change the direction of the water very quickly. But also, 
we need to understand that Mashachta is the language of water. The water is going to move from one place to another. Let's take a look at what Wikipedia has to say about Nachal Kishon. The Kishon River, its course, the Kishon River is 70 kilometers, 43 miles long. It's a perennial stream in Israel. Its farthest source is the Gilboa Mountains, and it flows in the west, northern, west, northwesterly direction from Amik Yuzel, emptying into the Haifa Bay into the Mediterranean Sea. Its drainage basin of 1,100 square kilometers include most of Amik Yuzel, in the Western Galilee, and parts of the Carmel. It is mentioned in multiple places in Tanakh, including Parak and Shoftim, and Nachal Kishon is the place that Eliyahu executes the Nevi'ah Aval. You can, I actually saw Nachal Kishon, parts of it, from the top of Hara Carmel. God willing, we'll go to Hara Carmel in two and a half years or so, and when we get there, we'll see. You can see, you can see the entire Amek Yuzel. It's Stunning, stunning, stunning. It look, it's patchwork of fields. It's beautiful and it's so green. Why is it green? Part of its green comes from Nachal Kishon. Nachal Kishon feeds into the fields and it's this windy Nachal that goes a long, a long way. It's 70 kilometers long. The last 43 miles long, 10 of it, the last 10 miles are always full. That means that 33 of those miles are not full. 33 of those miles are often empty or just about empty, except during certain seasons. Which seasons? The rainy season. The rainy season, it collects water high up in the mountains, probably somewhere near Har Tavor, and it then feeds into the entire thing that goes across the country. It snakes its way all the way to the Mediterranean. Now, try to understand this a little bit. What exactly is going on here? It's a miracle that 900 chariots are defeated. But what is that miracle? We don't know for sure, but we have certain illusions there. So before I share that with you, I want to share with you a historical note. There was a battle of Mount Tavor in 1799, where the Ottomans fought against, I believe, Napoleon's army. Napoleon's army is victorious. They lose two or two to seven soldiers, something like that. And the Ottomans, the Arabs, lose 6,000 soldiers. How? In the midst of this storm, in the midst of this war, which takes place in the spring of 1799, the rain all of a sudden comes down. It overflows the Nachal, Nachal Kishon. The people don't know what to do. They run, they're terrified, and as they run, terrified, they're wiped away and several thousand people die. What exactly is going on? So now, my attempt at biblical poetry. Four psukim from Perekei from Shirad Voga. Might have learned the Gemara, which talks about a different understanding of this. But the basic idea is Zvulun and Naftali were willing to die for this. They fight all of the Megiddo, which is the western part of the border of the land of Amek uh, Yuzel, which God willing will also go visit. They didn't take any money. This was not about money. 
from the heavens, there is, there is a battle. Where does it come from? It comes from the stars. What does it mean it comes from the stars? So one possibility is hail. Hail is not uncommon in Israel, even in certain months. And if there's crazy weather patterns, it's not crazy that there would be hail as well. But perhaps what's going on, the stars, so to speak, align against Sisra. How do they align against Sisra? It starts raining. It shouldn't rain. It's not rain season. And Nachal Kishon Grafam, Nachal Kumi Nachal Kishon to Drukhim Afshios. His chariots, his 900 chariots, had command of the land until it started raining. But when Nachal Kisho overflowed, and all of a sudden it became um, very, very uh, rainy as a result of the muddy, rather, as a result of the rain, what happened? They were once again neutralized, not because the Jews were on the mountain, but because the chariots couldn't move around the mud. What happens as a result of that? The Jewish people stop being the underdog, but rather now at this point in time, it is the people of Sisra, their army. What are they? They have no. They're they're all powerful when they're in their chariots, but otherwise they're soldiers running with who knows a sword, bow, and arrow, whatever it is. But they're on the run. Now it's the Jewish people who are in command and in control. I want to share with you one beautiful idea with this I'll end. It is a footnote that Rabbi Hatton suggests. He says, how exactly did this whole story take place? This is what he suggests. The Jewish people are in Har Tavor. And there's a rain cloud that, that's over Har Tavor. The army of Sisra is far away. They are so far away from where they are, they don't know what's going on. They know the Jews are up there. They're waiting it out. With the sudden rain cloud, a huge amount of rain is deposited, flows off the mountain, and quickly goes into Nachal Kisho. It overflows Nachal Kisho. The Jewish people know what's coming. And that's when Barak, that's when Devorah screams out, Kum Barak, Barak, you gotta go. Why? Because the moment is coming, you're going to win. You're gonna win. Meanwhile, these 900 chariots are sitting there. They know nothing of the rain. They know nothing of the water that is flowing down, the impending disaster that is about to hit them. Barak's men come down confidently knowing that God, through the stars, so to speak, through the rain, has decided Sisera will lose. Sisera has no idea what's coming. And so when these men come charging down the, the mountain, Sisera's army is prepared. So all of a sudden they start moving. And the, the chariots are, are, are neutralized, can no longer go. When that happens, they realize that all hope is lost. They then have to flee. Sisra flees. They all are killed, except for Sisra. Next time, God willing, we will better understand yeah, the character of Yael, the defeat of Sisra, and what happens in its aftermath. Thank you once again for joining us. Have a wonderful week and keep walking in the ways of the prophet.